Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Most cameras score this as risky driving. Driver Eye understands the context and reinforces great driving like this. Improve safety and reduce driver turnover. Welcome to the Green Zone. Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Great to be back after a week away. What didn't change in the last two weeks is that we are the place where we talk about trucking and freight, but we also talk about oil and diesel. And since you need to drill to get diesel, that's why we call the podcast Drilling Deep. Our guest of the week this week is Alan Schaefer of the Diesel Technology Forum. He's been here before. There have been some significant developments recently, very recently, regarding diesel engines and the energy transition to a cleaner, low-emission economy. And the diesel and, and the forum, Alan's forum, has to watch those closely. He's going to be here to talk about those in a minute. Since we last met, there has been a significant upturn in the price of diesel and the price of oil in general. One of the most visible was the first increase in the benchmark DOE diesel price that is used as the basis for most fuel surcharges. It most recently went up more than three cents a gallon. It was the first increase in four weeks and just the third in 23 weeks. What's more notable is the increase in the price of ultra-low sulfur diesel on the CME Commodity Exchange. Through Thursday, that price has risen 24 cents per gallon since the day before the July 4th holiday. That's the largest surge in quite some time. Let's note that before uh, getting down to that July 3rd recent low, the price of ULSD has spent most of May and really into June languishing in the $2.30 to $2.40 gallon price on the CME. After these recent gains, it was above $2.60. The dichotomy of the market can best be seen in the most recent monthly report of the International Energy Agency. The IEA report for July, which came out this week, doesn't reach one overwhelming conclusion, but there's something in there for the bulls, and there is something in there for the bears. On the bullish side, the agency reduced its forecast for total growth in petroleum consumption this year. It still sees consumption growing, but it had estimated that oil use was going to go up about 2.4 million barrels per day this year compared to 2022. Instead, it now sees it going up 2.2 million barrels per day. That's not a lot. That, that may not seem like much, but to cut that much in one month is actually quite a bit. But the reduction is the type of thing that would make a market bear happy. The agency sees a few factors that led to its decision to trim its forecast. One of them is the tighter monetary policy that most Western economies have adopted by their central banks. The second is that the increase in demand out of China is solid, but not on the level that had been predicted 
when the country dumped its, uh, dumped its zero COVID policies. But speaking of tightening, on the supply side, the agency sees the announced cutbacks by various oil exporter, exporters over the last few months finally taking hold. Since the big 1 million barrel a day cut that was announced by the OPEC Plus Group in early April, prices have been mostly steadily downward since then after an initial bump upward. Brent is the world's crude benchmark, and it was above $80 per barrel after those cuts were announced. But then it began a steady downward drift to below $73 per barrel just a few weeks ago. Now, it's back over $80 per barrel. The IEA does not forecast prices, but it's easy to envision that its analysts were looking at that recent increase in prices and thinking that it was kind of uh, proving the point that, that the production comebacks are finally taking hold in the market. At the same time, the agency sees demand growth slowing. The report seems to want to have it both ways, both bullish and bearish. One thing to note on the supply side is that the OPEC plus cuts that were announced back in April have been thwarted in many cases by countries that didn't sign up for them. One of those is the U.S. Crude output in the U.S. remains about 12.3 to 12.4 million barrels per day, but the petroleum market is also made up of natural gas liquids, things like propane and butane, and production of those in the U.S. is at record levels. Canada's wildfires may still be contributing to smoky skies, but they've been contained enough that Canadian production also has bounced back from earlier closures related to the fires. Those two North American countries are undermining the efforts of OPEC Plus to boost boost the market higher. Ultimately, the price of oil tends to rise up and down with economic conditions. It's very tough to have a long-term upward move in prices if the economy stinks. Maybe it can be in conflict for a little while, but it just can't last. We keep waiting for this much-heralded recession to hit. If it does, OPEC cuts are not going to be enough to overcome that. And if the recession stays away, the question will be whether those other countries like the U.S. and Canada can overcome the cuts imposed by the OPEC Plus group. That's the stage that the IEA report is setting for the second half of this year. We want to thank our sponsor this month, Netrodyne. Ready to step up your fleet safety? Titan Freight reduced distracted driving by 96% while losing zero drivers after implementing Netrodyne Driver Eye, the leading AI fleet camera system. Go to Netrodyne.com to learn more about how Driver Eye can revolutionize your fleet safety too. Moving on now on Drilling Deep, I think if there is a record for having been on Drilling Deep the most since we launched in late 2019 as just an audio podcast, I think that record might be held by Alan Schaefer, who is the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. As you can imagine, a person who sits in the intersection of trucking and fuel is always going to be of great interest to us here on Drilling Deep. So, Alan, it's great to have you back, and I think this is the first time we've had you on this video. Hi, John. Great to be with you, as always, even if my face does have to appear on video. You're great to have. So, we're going to get right to the point, because this week you released a study on the number of near zero emission vehicles on the U.S. roads. Now that's, so we'll call them NZEVs. I don't know if that's a, a term. Of course, ZEVs that are, that are required to be adopted in California over the next, you know, 15 to 20 years are called ZEVs. So we'll call them NZEVs. And why don't you talk about what constitutes an NZEV? Sure. What we're looking at here really is any technology, <clears throat> excuse me, any diesel that's been manufactured after 2010. 
uh, contains the latest state-of-the-art advanced SCR, selective catalytic reduction, and particulate filter control. And they all achieve near-zero emissions. So we wanted to know how many of those units are now rolling on the nation's roads, and what does that mean? And what kind of numbers did you come up with? Well, I'd be uh, pleased to find out that 57% of all the Class 3 through 8 trucks operating on America's roads today are of this newest generation of advanced diesel technology. And uh, that's, uh, again, from the smallest box truck on up to the tractor-trailer rigs. If we just looked at the largest rigs, the number is actually just about the same, 57%. And that's up about 10% over last year. Um, And what, (coughs) excuse me, we're looking at year-end data from 2022. So we're just now being able to see the full range of state registrations. So up about 10%. And I think that reflects some of that pent-up demand from the supply chain and pandemic, where a lot of new truck building uh, got back into a better of a swing of things. So more opportunity to buy new trucks. When you say 10%, do you mean 10 percentage points? No, 10% uh, real increase in numbers of those units that are registered and operating in the U.S., 10%. Um, we were up from 53% was the total penetration last year. This year, we're up to 57 And how do you think we are going to go forward? I mean, these 2011 vehicles, 2012 vehicles, as a, at a certain point, they kind of got to fall out of the market, particularly in California, where they're going to kind of age out. I mean, they've got to wait. If, if they're a 2011 vehicle, oh, they're going to age out, you know, within the foreseeable future. How fast are these vehicles aging out? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see next year's data, actually, John, for that reason, particularly in California, where the truck and bus feet rule did take effect this year. Um, but I would say that, you know, looking at the the general rule of thumb is 10 to 12 years, 12 to 15 years is kind of the fleet average turnover rate, depending on the economy and truck replacement rates. So, you know, probably in the ballpark of a dozen years or so till we see this generation of technology being the majority out there in all states. Now, let's put aside California for a moment, because... You know, it's so easy to just start talking about California. What what mandates does an NZEV meet in other parts of the country? I mean, why did things change in 2010? Is 2010 when diesel exhaust fluid was introduced, for example? Exactly. So what, yeah. So, so what, what does an NZEV, what rules does it meet? Yeah. Well, so the latest generation of emission standards were those adopted uh, back in 2000, and they set forward a series of uh, milestones for manufacturers to meet, and they met those milestones, and 2010 was the latest one, and those resulted in the reduction of NOx and particulate matter by over 95% for the Class 8 and the Class 3 through 8 trucks. And so since that time, the standards have not changed uh, up until, of course, this past fall when EPA announced the final rules for uh, more stringent nitrogen oxide emission standards that will take effect beginning in 2027 for trucks at the national level. So um, the milestones have been 2007 partic- particulate filters, 2010 for advanced NOx treatment systems plus particulate filters, and now we'll be looking at 2027 for uh, ultra-low NOx. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. 
behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, does, do the NZEVs that are on the road, now let's say a, an NZEV that's coming off the line today, uh, will it meet these 2027 rules as is, or are more modifications necessary? No, we think that there will be another uh, another range of technology introduced by manufacturers uh, as we get closer to that deadline of 2027. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear that manufacturers have uh, a good understanding on how to do that. So we've got to get further NOx reductions out of diesel. We've got to get those reductions during more points of time during the truck is operating. So at, at startup, at idle conditions, low load and speeds. We've got to have very low NOx emissions during the whole time frame of operation of the truck. And that's a little bit different than the 2010, 2010 rules, which really uh, did not focus so much on the cold start, low load scenario. But it's been uh, come to learn that uh, that does uh, comprise a significant amount of the operating time in some urban areas. So it's important that these systems work at maximum potential uh, almost right off the bat for when the truck gets moving. So um, that's going to be one of the biggest changes. And of course, uh, truckers will have the benefit that the new units are warranted for longer periods of time and have greater durability built into the systems. Now, these the model that you did where you did the test, I'm assuming they looked at the combination of ultra-low sulfur diesel, conventional ultra-low sulfur diesel, plus the engine. How different would the results be if it was renewable diesel that was running? Yeah, interesting question. I think, you know, we would find a, a reduction in emissions at some level. For the new technology, actually, the NOx mitigation uh, I'm using renewable diesel is not quite as great as it is from using it in the older generation. So uh, trucks that were built before 2010 would see a greater benefit in NOx and particulate mitigation from using renewable diesel or biodiesel fuels um, than the newest generation of stuff. Um, but uh, we would certainly see lower greenhouse gas emissions by anywhere from 50 to 80 percent. Uh, for using renewable diesel, a drop in replacement, it would be closer to 80% lower carbon emissions. So um, the fuel can have a big impact on uh, vehicles, depending on the age uh, of the vehicles as well. So, so the NOx benefit from renewable diesel comes in older trucks, um, but but the newer trucks are so, I'll hesitate to say, so good at cleaning up NOx that putting renewable diesel in there just doesn't have that much of an impact? That's right. I mean, really, NOx formation is about combustion temperatures and how that's managed. So the fuel is increasingly or is incredibly important, but the SCR systems are so efficient and advanced that they uh, they're able to control NOx very efficiently um, in in any kind of fueling situation. All right. So you know, let, well, let's. I'm going to get a little political here. You know, when I was reading your when I was reading the results of your study, well, uh, there is no rule for these trucks in California. I mean, there is now, but in the long run, in the long run, being an NZEV might as well be a a, a lot a lot of emission vehicles, <laughs> yeah, uh, heavy emission vehicles. Uh, there is no rule for this truck in California. Uh, secondly, we have I don't know how many other states is it eleven states that have said we're going to follow California's lead. So, what is the strategy of the diesel industry in trying to maintain its market share when it's up against that? Okay, well, let's let's uh, look at where we are at this moment. And at this moment, uh, just last week, uh, the Truck and Engine Manufacturers Association and a number of their member companies, including a number of our members, 
um, were signatories to an agreement with the California Air Resources Board. And what that agreement spells out is that we're going to have a uniform national NOx emission standard for heavy-duty commercial vehicles. It's going to be the EPA standard, and it's going to take effect in 2027. And so this restores, I think, a good amount of sanity to the regulatory process because up until 2010, we had uniform national standards, California uh, EPA. Um, there was no difference where you bought a truck or where you operated. It was all meeting the same standard. And we've now we'll see that restored with this agreement, um, uh, which has to be implemented yet by the Air Resources Board in the next uh, couple of years. But um, it does give us uh, an understanding that we're going to have a single future advanced diesel product, uh, 2027, to be a nationally usable truck anywhere you want to go. Um, and while it is true that California does, as part of this agreement, will retain uh, portions of their rule that require, starting in 2036, uh, 2035, excuse me, that uh, new sales have to increasingly be zero emission vehicles from medium and heavy duty trucks. And by 2046, they would have to be 100% that. Um, so, you know, we're 20, a couple of decades away, honestly, from that at this point. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how those timeframes and things will work out. But even if we're looking at 2035, uh, keep in mind at that point in time, uh, for many categories, even in California, 60% of the fleet new purchases can still be diesel. Um, so we've gonna, we're going to see a long tail on the future for diesel here, um, both in California and at the federal level. I guess the question comes in is, when do fleets start looking at, looking at saying, okay, you know, yes, you know, right now we, we have a, a role here for NZEVs. But we might as well start switching to ZEVs. Maybe it's not going to be now because we still are a long way. But let's remember the California rules. Check me on this: that uh, any truck uh, has to get retired off the road at 18 years, or I believe it's 800,000 miles um, prior. Whichever comes first, is that correct? I think that's right. Okay, so so if you're looking at a truck today uh, and it's an NZ, you can say, okay, you know, this is pretty good. I got 18 years to go. That still brings me in under that that most extreme requirement mm-hmm. in California. The question is, at what point does the industry start to not think that anymore? Is it is it eighteen years away from the ultimate requirement, or before that? I mean, and I don't know the answer, but I'm saying this is you know w- w- when do we get kind of a, a shift over? I mean, your point is that the market opportunity for diesel powered vehicles that are particularly clean is still going to be there for a while. The question is, when is it not there for a while, if you know what Yeah. I mean. Well, I think, you know, John, folks that have been talking about this transition now for a couple of years in earnest, um, and I think, you know, we've all seen uh, some of the material that's kind of defined this period of time we're in as, quote, the messy middle, you know, this period of today versus when things transition to um, clean uh, zero emission vehicles and, and all renewable energy. Um, and I remember first seeing that that diagram, that schematic, and that that whole mindset of a um, of an understanding, and the messy middle ended at 2030, um, and then I saw one that said the messy middle ended at 2040, and now I think they've got it up to 2050. So I think what it reflects is is a reality that you know we are in a period of of transition with so many uncertainties that it's really hard to say, and it's so dependent on so many other factors that just are not clear to most fleets yet. I think that, you know, folks are going to be evaluating the technologies and they live maybe more in a in a three to five year kind of planning period for uh, 
cycling their equipment and, you know, thinking about the future. So, um, you know, I would say that, you know, we're going to see diesel still be the top, you know, purchase technology, you know, for at least another decade, 15 years, easy for most fleets. Now, if you're in the West Coast and some other places that are pouring big money into the infrastructure that you need to support the zero emission vehicles, you could see things happening sooner. And it might be uh, to your advantage to start to make a change um, in, in a faster way if that works for you. But ultimately, and this is Alan Schaefer's view, I think where we see this working out is, you know, some of these sectors and places are going to go faster. And some of these sectors are going to stay using diesel for a very, very long time because uh, things are not going to go as fast as we thought. They might not go as far as they thought. And they're going to cost a lot more than we thought uh, from today. So um, we've got a shift here in our industrial economy that's trying to take place. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of other uncertainties going on. So I, you know, I think fleets are going to do the smart thing. They're going to keep talking to their suppliers, their partners and all this, the truck OEMs, engine manufacturers, and decide, you know, how their business model fits with some of these new fuels and technology. Because, you know, it's not, we're not just changing the vehicle here. I mean, think about how much the trucking sector is built around diesel, hours of service, how many drivers you need. If you switch to vehicles that have lesser range or require more time for stops for refueling, what does that mean for the workforce? Do we have 24-7 nationwide service accessibility for parts, service, and repairs? I mean, this is an industry that has built an entire ecosystem all around diesel fuel, where it is, how we use it how it helps define our equipment and how that equipment operates. Um, you know, I heard the, one of the senior leaders at the American Trucking Associations testify in the House a few weeks back, and he, he talked about, in, you know, in 15 minutes, he can fill up his diesel truck and go 1,500 miles. And uh, if he had to follow the zero-emission vehicle mandates, he wouldn't be able to go as far, and it would take him eight hours to, to, to charge his vehicle. Um, so he had all kinds of concerns and questions about, would he have enough drivers? Could he haul the same payload? Would he need more trucks? You know, so there's there's all kinds of questions that come out of this change to other technology. Right. I, I mean, I do want to point out that the eight-hour refilling assumes a battery-powered uh, 18-wheeler, which I don't think anybody thinks is the future. There's a future uh, in trucking for the energy transition. I think almost everybody agrees it's hydrogen. They just do not see a role for batteries. They're too heavy, plus the recharging. You know, hydrogen recharging would be a lot less. That's got its own issues, but I, I don't, I don't, I, the whole recharging thing is, I, I think it's, it's a little bit of red herring because you're not going to put batteries in, but let's talk about another issue that's always been uh, key with California. And I still remember dealing with it in the early nineties uh, when there was the debate over uh, whether the cars should all be LEVs, low emission vehicles, or the California standard, which is ULEVs, ultra low emission vehicles. And when I remember uh, the reporter that I worked with uh, on my team who was in Washington said, what the car industry doesn't want to do is build two cars. They don't want to build a car for California. And at that point, you didn't have all these other states signing on to it and the 49 other states. Well, the reality is that I'm not sure what year it was, but at a certain point, all the cars were ULEVs. So with California being an 800-pound gorilla, plus they have these number of states that are going to follow their lead. Plus the fact that the OEMs don't want to build, you know, two cars, in this case, two trucks. How much weight does that give the, Cal the California model ultimately triumphing? Well, I think the agreement that was just signed last week, you know, raises some questions about some of your conclusions there. I think uh, 
California was out on a limb in terms of the timing of their NOx standards and some other provisions there that just were not in line with the Clean Air Act. And instead, uh, you know, what we have now is an agreement that there is four years of lead time, three years of regulatory stability for manufacturers to make these these trucks and engines. And that, uh, you know, that's going to mean that these all these states that decided they want something special from California um, on the if, if they chose to do that on the Knox rule, um, there's not going to be anything there for them because California is not going to be different on the Knox rule. As to whether the states uh, seek to adopt on the advanced clean truck, the, the mandates to, to go zero emission vehicle, um, you know, I think that's a, that's a whole other question. But, you know, obviously California is having an influence here because they're, you know, they're pouring billions of dollars into starting all this up and to see how well it works. And it will work in some parts of California well because of that that financial investment. But if we get away from California and start getting into America's heartland and some of these states that uh, are ranking very high in their adoption of advanced diesel trucks from our just recent analysis, um, you know, you have to wonder whether or not that they're going to have a supportive ecosystem and infrastructure just the same. Even with the massive investments from the Inflation Reduction Act, et cetera, um, those are going to be helpful in kickstarting things. But are they going to be able to drive the level of investment and decision-making outside of the state of California to, to make this leap to zero emission? You know, I think uh, the jury's still out on that. Um, but, you know, some cities and some states are definitely going to get there. But, um, you know, California does have an influence. I think sometimes they think it's an outsized influence. And I'm also mindful of that when I hear folks talk about, you know, um, fleets switching and all the the national fleets are early adopters of technology when you're running you know multiple billion dollar public companies you can you can dabble in some of these experiments and and learn from them and you know uh, know where you need to go but keep in mind that the majority of the trucking industry is uh, fleets of you know 20 or fewer trucks so you know what's what is uh, what is it an experience from a you know, a national truck fleet with, uh, you know, 20,000 trucks. What does that mean to a little trucker that's running three states that's got 20 trucks, family operation? You know, we have to have to think about how this translates into the entire industry. And so I think that's going to be important as well. But, you know, California's California. I mean, they're they're always going to position themselves as the leader and, and solver of all problems. And they're definitely, you know, pushing uh, and nudging industry in this direction. But I think, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a course correction right now because folks are realizing even in California, I mean, I hear people talk about, Hey, we're ready to go electric. And we just found out from our utility, it's going to take two years, two years to get charging for this one facility. So we could have these 10 trucks. So well, that, that's why in the, in the final advanced clean fleet rule, they did make some provisions there. Like you could get a waiver if the, if the utility isn't ready. Uh, one last question, but though it's a, it's a big one, and I'm going to ask you to be a futurist or a soothsayer. What do you think the diesel, and I won't say that, I won't say the diesel market, what do you think the heavy, the, the, what do you think the market will look like for fueling heavy vehicles, let's say class A vehicles in, let's say, 2040? The market for fueling vehicles. Well, I think, you know, there's still going to be a healthy population of diesel trucks on the road at that time. No question. Or let me just say this internal combustion engine vehicles on the road at that time. And they're going to need fuel. So I think the market that we have today, the retailers and and the fueling um, system we have today is going to still be there. I think you're going to see some of the new 
Um, additions to that, though, I mean, for truck stops, you know, we're already seeing folks investing in charging infrastructure, et cetera. They want to serve their trucker customers. So if you pull in there with natural gas or you're looking for renewable diesel or electric, some of the big ones are probably going to be able to offer you all of that. So, you know, uh, the fueling uh, industry will definitely have to evolve here, but it's hard to see that folks would, you know, say, well, we're going to shut up shop with, you know, selling diesel, um, particularly retailers that have, uh, you know, heavy reliance on gasoline. Because if you look at profitability of fuel retailing, uh, a lot of the margin comes not from the sales of gasoline, but from the sales of diesel and all the things inside the store. So having a healthy diesel market and continuing to provide that um, is going to be critical, I think, for the future. And 2040 feels like a long ways away, but, you know, um, the average age of trucks today, what is it? You know, a dozen or cars is a dozen years. Um, and if the economy doesn't, you know, make drastic changes, are people going to hang on to this technology longer? Let's see. Yeah, you, may, you know, you talk about fueling on the road. Uh, BP bought uh, travel centers, of course, for $1.4 billion, which in the big scheme of BP is, is pittance. I think I, I think I figured out it's 22 days profit. Uh, to RTA. And one of the reasons they said is because, you know, this gives us a lot of facilities on the road that serve trucks where we can we can uh, serve them with alternative fuels, which they say is one of their long-term goals. So mm-hmm. we want to thank Alan Shaver. He is the executive director of the Diesel Technology Forum. Alan, as always, it was, it was a great one. Great talking with you, John, and thanks for having us. So you have been watching Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can see us on all the leading podcast platforms, and now you can see us on YouTube. All of our videos now are on YouTube for Freightways TV, so go right there. Maybe a little easier to use. Might be a little tougher to search. We're still working on that. But uh, I do want to thank you for joining us today, and myself and Alan. My name is John Kingston, and please join us again. We want to thank our sponsor this month, Netrodyne. Ready to step up your fleet safety? Titan Freight reduced distracted driving by 96% while losing zero drivers after implementing Netrodyne Driver Eye, the leading AI fleet camera system. Go to Netrodyne.com to learn more about how Driver Eye can revolutionize your fleet safety too.